T. Five, four. 54. Come on. To those lucky 10 that tune in to the video content. Yes. Right. Thank on YouTube. You. Available oh, on welcome. YouTube. <laughs> All over the world. That's right. Um, yeah. Yes, we are back at it. Uh, we're in a new series. Um, we are changing gears. Uh, we're going to look at a uh, book of the Bible, Paul's first letter to the church, the believers, in Thessalonica. Mm-hmm. And we, we call it First Thessalonians. Yeah, there uh, seemed to be a back and forth yesterday on teaching team, or Tuesday, is it Thessalonians or Thessalonians? Like, what are the people called? I think they're called Thessalonians. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Somebody... Otherwise, it would be the first, it'd be the letter, it'd be First Thessalonians. <laughs> Which kind of sounds cool, but... <laughs> Which I wish it was. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think it's Thessalonians. Uh, yes. Um, this is early so, on in Paul's ministry, right? This early letter. Yeah, it's early on. Um, I don't think he wasn't there very long. Yeah, a few weeks. And uh, he's writing a letter back. And uh, he has some things to say about uh, what he's hearing about them what good things he's hearing about them and what in particular that looks like and so on. And, and so part of the, maybe part of the theme, one of the themes uh, during these weeks will be, um, you know, how do we communicate the gospel in our cultural moment? What does that look like? Um, And I just wonder if we just took a second and maybe talked about what our cultural moment is or just, some just broad outlines of of that. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll throw a few out a few ideas out there, and you can. And this is I'm not really talking pandemic yet. This is pre-pandemic. Just this culture. is just 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 culture. This is kind of the what world are we living in here in 21st century America? Um, uh, you know, speaking broadly. And we've been talking about this as a staff to some degree, and uh, so it's probably good just to kind of think through, like, what, who, who are we talking to? What are we talking? And I, it, I think one of the things is there is no one. It's you know we don't have a monoculture. We have people with lots of different views. We have people with a pre-modern worldview and a modernist worldview and a post-modern worldview. We've got people who have. We're influenced by bits and pieces of all of those things, and you know the the uh, m- millennial generation, you know uh, Gen Z. Um, those generations are pretty different in a lot of important ways from you know the the boomers, if you will. Uh, well, that's the, the Gen I, X. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but it seems like. I know everybody, everybody says this when they talk about their culture moment. Like, we've never been here at this point in history. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. But it seems like there are a lot of generations living together at the same cultural moment, which does seem different than the past because of the speed of with which um, things have happened in the past, I don't know, 10, 20 years. So how many how many generations, yeah. like Gen X, Gen Z, Millennial, all that boomers, busters, how many generations are actually existing in this cultural moment? I think that has uh, has some type of... Impact. Yeah, a, a lot. And I do think that there are more differences between them than there have, you know, that there have been uh, in, in some places in our history uh, where, in other words, culture is changing faster. So that's okay. kind of what we're saying. That's a, another way of saying it. 
Um, you know, the people who uh, had 25 double rolls of toilet paper in their house when the pandemic came, just because they always do, and versus the people who had two, because they never have more than two. I didn't do more than two. We have two bathrooms. Um, it's like part of this <laughs> and those two, <laughs> those two sets of people don't understand each other very well. Like, you, uh, you know, you, <laughs> you know, I think, I think, so that's part of it is we, and I think that the, one of the implications of that is you, it's hard to make assumptions about people. And it, we do this though. I mean, we try to make quick assumptions about people based on any one of a number of things based on age or you know, we think they said something that might sound um, liberal, you know, politically or conservative politically. And then we just make automatically just make a hundred decisions about them. And I think we probably shouldn't do that, uh, that it's, you know, we kind of live in a more swirling cultural moment. Uh, and that's something to think about. Um, I do think, too, we live in a time when people don't trust institutions, people don't trust authorities, people don't trust you know, it's politicians, the news, church leaders, you know, professors, all of the people that you would often form culture in the past are much less trusted. Uh, so there's that, there's sort of an anti-institutional, anti-truth. Um, because of the postmodern flavor, people aren't looking for one answer that fits everybody. They don't assume there is one. So, hey, it works for you. That That's great. That doesn't mean anything about whether it's going to work for me. Uh, kind of, so people are in that, um, place as well. Uh, of course, um, a lot of the other more obvious things are, we are, um, probably we kind of, if you want to say it in a negative way, we display more of an idolatry towards money and things and success and advancement, uh, and sex maybe those are all probably more obvious than they were before. It's not like they weren't there before, but they're just sort of, since we don't have a common morality that we all agree on, people are just like, yeah, that's kind of, that's where I am with that. That's kind of what we're all about. Um, and all of these things are kind of happening at once. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. We got any else to throw in there? There's a um, bunch else we could say. We didn't really prepare this, so. No, that's, yeah, that's right. I think um, one of the disjointed between parts between generations is um, probably starting with right after me and my generation, which would be Gen X to some degree, uh, we're more okay with um, inconsistent thinking, more okay with illogicalities, more okay with it doesn't have to right. make sense to me. I don't right. need this right. fact to sequence that fact in this one. And so we don't really start with um, the facts or the truth or the data. Uh, I think younger generations may start with their own feelings or sense or, you know, impression how, experience. Yeah. yeah. So that, that probably. And then, and then if the data doesn't fit, that's okay. It doesn't have to for me. So you can hold what appear to me to be admit what maybe are contradictory views mm -hmm. simultaneously and not be bothered by that. Right. Which in some sense, that's not all bad, right? No, right. I mean, there, that's probably the desire to make everything, that everything has to harmonize in my mind um, is often what leads to sort of weird 
um, conspiracy kind of theory thinking and whatever that um, instead of just like, okay, I'm not quite sure what that means. I'm going to put it over here and kind of let it, let it rest, let it breathe, if you will. Um, That's not a bad thing. Um, And so all of that, as it relates to just our mission in being the presence of Christ, God's people in the world, um, probably one of the things is, is we, it's not just, we have to kind of get our persuasive message together and then convey our persuasive message. That's not going to work for a lot of people. They're not looking for a persuasive message. They don't necessarily think because we have a seminary degree that we're, we're to be trusted with a persuasive message anyway. Um, that, you know, that I have a set of information for you that if you adopt this information will change your life. It's just not where a lot of the people we're interacting with are thinking. Uh, and so it comes much more about how we're living and then our words to describe how we're living and rather than just our words to describe a truth uh, or some truths uh, about Jesus or about God or about the gospel. Um, and so that's kind of where Paul is relating to these Thessalonians because he's he's relating to them on the basis of what people are saying and what he's observed about their lives. Um, so let me read verse three of first Thessalonians one and, uh, see how that, see how that plays into this. Uh, and Paul is saying, as we pray to our God and father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so what are we, you know, how is he describing them and what is that? Is that safe for us to us? What do you think? Yeah, I think the the their imitation of Jesus, because Paul's going to use the word imitate a few times in this uh, book. I think that's important to remember. Um, it's their imitation that led to their reputation, that led to the impression that Paul is getting from them. I was going to try to find another Asian rhyming word there, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, impression. Amalgamation. Amalgamation. Arpeggiator. Come on. Mm. Uh, but it's their life. And this is what I think. Here's where, and I can talk in the clouds uh, a lot uh with just concepts and keeping them at a high level, like hope and faith. But Paul doesn't really talk about them in conceptuals. He talks about them concretely. It's their Mm -hmm. lives lived out and the hope that they have. So you can't measure hope. You can't measure faith, but you can measure life. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can measure someone's existence, your own existence and what narrative they're living out and what their value systems are. I'm not saying we're judging it and we could be wrong. And there's a whole lot of assumptions there, but you do get this impression of what people think and believe and the way they think the world works by how they live their life. And I think, Mm. I think the Bible speaks to that. Well, that's an interesting, yeah, maybe we can, we can uh, pause there for a moment uh, and, and, ponder that uh i do think you know obviously paul has a reputation and and through his writings he's concerned with doctrine he's concerned he answers 
false teaching. Mm-hmm. He addresses falsehood. He, um, you know, but he's not in this case right here, at least he's not talking about doctrine. He's talking about what good doctrine should lead to, yep. which is this, you know, this aligning your life and, and, uh, you know, responding to this good doctrine should look like faithful work, loving deeds, enduring hope, uh, and I think that's for us. I don't. I, it sounds, in a sense, obvious to say that, but I don't know that that's often our emphasis. Our emphasis is on doctrine because it's it is more objective. It's less subjective. It is more something that's easier to fight about and to win arguments about or or not. Uh, I think I think that's true, and I I think because we've been focused on our confession, if we can put it that way, rather than our expression. And we think about, I I don't know, maybe Beth Moore said this before she was told to go home, but I think she is something like faith and hope isn't a matter of what you say you believe, but it's a matter of what you show you believe. Mm -hmm. And that's always stuck with me because I can say a lot of things about what I think in my value system, but if my time and my resources and my generosity or my presence with people or whatever just contradicts it, then that's actually what I really believe. Mm, right. I do think that's, I mean, you're talking about our cultural moment. And one of the reasons I think there is some level of distrust is that I think there has been a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we show we believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. I like that little, um, amalgamation there um yeah. <laughs> i keep saying that come on uh because i do think this is i mean paul is responding to what they are showing they believe and what are, what other people are saying about what they are showing they believe and i think that it's again the belief part it's still important you to believe the right to, to believe the wrong things will not lead to the same place right. uh but I do think we say we believe things that we don't show we believe. I mean, I think everyone does that to some extent. It's it's impossible not to be in some ways at least slightly hypocritical. Uh, but I don't know that we're as bothered by that as we can be because, hey, I believe the right thing. My doctrine's right. Um, and I think that that's, you know, one of the things that perhaps we can reflect on in our cultural moment is most people don't. A, believe your doctrine is right, and B, care. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care. I mean, what is right? Right for you, whatever, whatever. Especially if they look at your life and they see somebody who's, you know, I don't know, anxious, uh, critical, angry, um, self-focused, selfish, whatever, then it doesn't actually help to say, my, yeah, but my doctrine is right, because they don't even want your doctrine anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's kind of where where we as a church our challenge is not in messaging. I mean, we have a messaging problem, but our messaging problem is because there's been a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we show we believe. And that is our in a sense our messaging problem, but our problem really isn't in messaging, it's in are we living transformed lives. Yeah. Yeah, and to your messaging point, I do think we have a few messaging problems, and partially because 
maybe we haven't followed uh, the Apostle Paul's lead on messaging, who came into the culture and didn't and and read the culture well and said, "How do I have a faithful expression of the gospel in this culture without right. losing them or alienating them or giving them?" you know, Jewish jargon that they had no idea what the history was about. And you see his strategy in each place he goes, he, who is he talking to? Is he talking to Jews? Okay. He's going to present the gospel with that in mind. He's talking to Greeks who have no Jewish background, or is he talking to Greeks who's converted to Judaism? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, forget the technical uh, term for that um, comes out God fears, but who's he talking to and how does he best put it in language that they can understand? And I think, Sometimes there's a fear in the church of if we don't hold on to maybe that way of saying it, then we're becoming watered down or something like that. And I just think that you can hold the doctrine and hold the truth, but you can express it in such a way where you're not losing the hearer. Isn't that what's important? Right. Yeah, that that's the, you know, can, how do you hold on to the truth in such a way that somebody else can understand it? Um, and if you can't, then... You know, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, if you can't explain something to a child in a way the child can understand it, then you don't really understand it, yeah, whatever, that, whatever that is. Like if you have to use jargon and technical words and theological words, then you don't understand it well enough to live it out. Because after all, we would want the child to be changed by that and to show what they believe so that what is what is it translating it to their level look like and what is it translating to the level of a high school and it's not in a sense of uh vocabulary or you know it's but it's more a sense of uh what are they thinking what are they valuing you know what are they afraid of what do they love what stories are they telling you know how can i place the gospel uh and 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 mike i think since we're kind of on this evangelism note, missional note, I think sometimes our view of the world around us has been, maybe this is just a few evangelicals or evangelicalism has been, we're right, they're wrong. We're found, they're lost. Therefore, they don't have something that we need to give to them. And in some sense, there's truth to that. But if you read uh, the, the scriptures in a way that talks about Eternity is in the hearts of men, God's glory is everywhere, people are image bearers, then it's not as if we're giving them something that's completely foreign to them. It's we're finding where God is at work already, like the gospel's mm-hmm. at work already in people around us. And mm-hmm. we're just trying to say, oh, you know that, what you call this or what that story is? We feel like we have a deeper meaning to that. Let us, let's talk about that. It's not, I'm here to teach you and you don't know anything. It's more so, there's mm-hmm. common ground in the gospel here, and how do we find that and draw it out? Yeah, that's right, because I think the, the challenge is you know, it, I might have something that they need and I need to give to them. Mm-hmm. However, uh, as you said, um, we are not in completely different categories. Uh, you know, they are image bearers. I'm an image bearer. We share, you know, the image of God. We share uh, living in God's reality and creation. Uh, we share to some degree hopes, fears that are common to all people. Um, and so that being the case, the question kind of becomes, how do I entice them to want what I have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because 
if they don't want it, I can give it to them as skillfully as possible. It's like somebody who comes to your door and they want to sell you something that you don't want, that you have no need for, or you have already have two of them. I don't know if you've ever had the situation. I had a situation. Uh, I think I told you about it. We were just getting back from vacation. So we were unpacking the car. We had just dri- we had driven all day. And uh, this guy comes up on these little, one of these little Segway things. They were just going around the neighborhood selling like pest control stuff. And we already yeah. had a pest control thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's on a slight slant of my driveway. And it was just the whole thing fascinated me because I'm wondering like, okay, does he notice that this is not a good time? You know, that would be yeah. okay. That's point, point A, let's just notice he's unpacking the car. They've driven all day. Yeah, maybe not B, you know, maybe come <laughs> back. Uh, but no, undeterred. And he was kind of uh, kind of rocking back and forth in a Segway because it was hard to stay in one spot on the slant of my driveway, which I'm just I'm literally trying not to laugh. And he's and he's going into a spiel, and he was pretty good. You know, he's he had a good spiel. He was he was practiced in it. Uh, I just didn't I a didn't want the product and became increasingly fascinated by the obtuse approach of it should be clear by now. Yeah. It's a no. Yeah, but it was almost like it was a point of honor. He was going to get me to yes. He was going to get me to yes, and I finally I had to be semi rude and said, "Listen, I got to keep unpacking the car here." Um, <laughs> I don't so know if you've seen it, what we're doing. It's just a no, it's just just a no, uh, and I kind of feel like that sort of. I mean, that's sort of sometimes how the church is. Uh, the thing of it is, we're selling something, if you will, or presenting something that they really do need that really is transformative. Uh, that really is life changing. That gives hope for the future. But we sometimes are like the guy trying to sell the pest control thing on the Segway. We're just so obtuse about right. where they are in the moment. Instead of saying, "Okay, I can imagine. I've been on long car rides before. I can imagine where they are. This is not the best time or place or way or whatever. Maybe it's kind of slide on up on your Segway and hand me a card and say, I can see this isn't a good time. Where we've got a good pest control thing. I'm gonna." Unless you want to chat now, I'm going to scoot on down the road, whatever. Um, that actually would have been much more appealing. It would have been super attractive. Oh, thank yeah. you. At least he recognized yeah. us as humans and what we're doing. Right. right. Yeah. It's like I somehow mattered to the equation would have been good where I didn't matter at all. <laughs> the equation. That's right. a great point that you mattered in the equation as opposed to you're just an object or a customer, right. blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. And 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 a does that company really care about people for giving them segways? I mean, <laughs> really? Correct me up. I saw somebody else came to the door with one, and they're probably another. like twenty something. Like you should be. Yeah. Oh yeah, you should be walking. <laughs> right, right. It's not going to kill you to walk. But no, I think that's a really great illustration of how we can get so locked in our minds and maybe just. Uh, insulated in the church and enculturated with we've got all this stuff and I've got to get this out to you and you need it so much and you don't even know you need it. So I'm going to pretend like you're kind of whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, unintelligent or something. Mm -hmm. So I've just got to present my thing to you and like my spiel. And it's like, yeah. Did we recognize that they've been on a long car ride and they're unpacking? Right. Right. And I think this, that, that recognition is, in some ways harder it complicates things like i can't just have a one size fits all presentation 
that I can give any time, that I have to be reading the signs and getting to know the person. And I have to have a life that's not contradicting. Like this guy could have had no pest control in his house. I wouldn't have known like it, you know, to the presentation as a standalone thing. Um, You know, like a traveling evangelist back in the day where you don't really know if they're a good person or not. Um, and, and this is the opposite of what Paul's saying here. Um, and in fact, if we jump down to verse 8 through 10, it, it's the same sort of idea uh, where Paul says, uh, and now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wh- wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Um, and again, it's more just everywhere we go, we, people are talking about your life change and yep. your, you know, your faithful work, loving deeds and enduring hope. And so in a sense, they're spreading the gospel by being transformed, right? Yep. And isn't that a challenge for us? Yeah, you see uh, their uh, repentance. They're turning away from idols. They're faithfully worshiping God and showing that their hospitality. You know, there's real concrete measures of their faith and hope of, okay, we're not perfect, but we're turning away from a life of sin and we are showing hospitality. Um, these are real measures of, of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, what's interesting to me is, um, so we, you know, if people look at, let's say, look at Calvary Church, look at our church, and they can, there are things that they can see that we're, you know, working, people are donating and volunteering to distribute food, and people are donating and volunteering to, you know, have masks available for people, um, you know, that we are working with, um, the homeless and there's stuff that's out and tangible that we can, that we can display to the world, if you will, that are somewhat programmatic. Um, but if you look at what form is this, you know, the church in Thessalonica, you know, you, let's say you pull into Thessalonica in your pickup truck, you know, what does the church look like? Uh, it's not like that, you know, it's just a different, right. It's basically, there is no one building where people are, it's just houses and groups and it's all very organic and informal. And I'm not saying that's what we should do because of that. I'm just saying it's even more remarkable. You know, they didn't have, they weren't posting to Facebook of, you know, here's us delivering food, which we post to Facebook and here's us delivering food. I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. It's just, they didn't have that. All they had was kind of word of mouth and relational and one-on-one and the people being helped saying about the church, Hey, those people are awesome. That's, I mean, that's, that was their whole marketing (laughs) department. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty fascinating. Um, I don't know if this gets a little dicey, but I, I get that there's a business aspect to the church and I understand that. Uh, but I think sometimes you miss the forest for the trees where you're concerned about marketing for the church 
as opposed to just living a transformed life and being a transformed mm-hmm. community. And if you're doing food distribution, cool, we'll just throw it out. But it's not about, but we got to get this out there. So people, you know, think Calvary's great, and then they come and join Calvary, and then they become a Calvaryite. That's that's not what the gospel or the kingdom calls us to, is to follow mm-hmm. Jesus. We should be a part of, the, of a local community. Um, but I just sometimes think the church loses sight of that kingdom mindset. Well, I think that in a sense, it's a kind of a catch-22 because we have lost sight of the kingdom mindset. We almost need to worry about getting that message out there. So people, because I do think sometimes people are surprised, oh, there's a evangelical church that's doing good things in the world. I mean, that's, <laughs> right. that's an overstatement, right? you know, but I do think it's a necessary um, message for uh, because I don't think that's how we are seen often. I mean, we the way Paul is talking about these believers meeting in homes and just having transformed lives in, in the city of Thessalonica a couple thousand years ago isn't how our culture has seen the church, speaking of our cultural moment. It sees right. us as hypocrites. It sees us as, you know, I don't know, hateful even, angry, hateful, fearful, hypocritical people. Now, that's not completely descriptive of everyone, of course, but I think it's not a completely unfair conclusion to come to if you look at the church as it is perceived in media and social media and, you know, just in general. Um, and so how are, are we living lives that counter that uh, or are we just fallen fallen into that hole? Yeah, and, and I think I'm probably a bit of, an idealist in this area and too much of a purist, but I think of Jesus teaching in um, the, the Sermon on the Mount where don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing and that mm-hmm. you're praying in secret. And I think of, especially with the distrust of institutions and religion in the church today, should we be actively pursuing equity and social justice and all this? For sure. Um, I just think do the thing because it's the right thing to do yeah. and let, right. let that reputation spread. Yeah. So don't do it in order to look good. Right. Right. Whether you talk about it or not, do it. Because it yeah, yeah. People smell through that. Right. Well, and it's not, uh, it's not, it, it defiles our heart, so to speak, because we're yeah. doing it in order to be seen. We become pharisaical. Right. It isn't faithful work, loving deeds and enduring right. hope. It's, it's self-serving. Uh, in a sort of an insidious sort of way. And I know, you know I, I think you're a total de- depravity sort of person, and so am I. I think there's some uh, there's some measure of that that's unavoidable. Like, we, yeah, yeah, we yeah. never really have pure motives. Right. We always do want to, we want to help and love people, and we want to be noticed helping and loving people. I think there's, there's no way around that. I mean, yeah. we may as well not lie about it. Yeah. We all want, you know what I'm saying? You know, yeah, I, I want to... You know, Lord, help me do this with pure motives. And then nobody noticed, you know. <laughs> I did not get enough likes on that post. <laughs> yeah, that's screwed up. Lord, yeah. help me forgive those people who didn't notice my often. Now I'm angry. <laughs> now I'm angry. Uh, all right. So now let's, I'm, I'm, so we're here we are, we are in the state of Missouri and, uh, approaching mid-May, uh, and the pandemic has been on us for, uh, it was the, I think it was the mid-March. So we're about two weeks, two months 
mm-hmm. ago when we had we scrambled around and decided that we couldn't meet that coming weekend uh, for church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering, like, how does all this, all this is, tr- all that we've been saying is true and brilliant and insightful and awesome. <laughs> Full stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, how does the... Um, how does the pandemic, I mean, it seems like this is either a golden opportunity uh, to display lives to the watching world of faithful work, loving deeds, and enduring hope, or, and or, a absolute, you know, flaming mess of a, of a, a pile of mess to look like we're totally contradicting all of that. And I do think there's a little of both going on. You've seen some of, you've seen some of the latter. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think people are um, more concerned about a political identity or apparently unconcerned about other people. Or um, I think partly, so one of the things that I, one of the things I found interesting, and I just, we might as well be controversial because there's, it's not like there's a million listeners. Uh, <laughs> I just think the whole mask wearing thing has become like weirdly something mm-hmm. that symbolizes something that I'm not sure I completely understand. Um, that if you, wear a mask you're somehow buying into some narrative you're somehow identifying with a certain political agenda or you're not demonstrating trust in the lord Mm -hmm. or some combination of those like it's come to mean something uh that for some people and what it means to most people are none of those things and so that's actually not what we're conveying by stating that position uh, and you know, that the stated reason, the stated recommendation from the CDC and for me wearing a mask is I might have the virus, not have symptoms, not be sick. And me wearing a mask keeps the, you know, my breath, cough, sneezing, whatever close. So it doesn't spread as much and I'm less likely to give the virus to somebody else. So it's really an act of care for other people. Uh, and in that sense, it seems a pretty straightforwardly Christian thing to do, even if I personally don't believe it's necessary. Yeah, right. And I'm with you. Um, I have a hard time accepting the argument that, uh, well, let me just say it this way. For me, it seems clear that Jesus' example and call to Christians is to love one another. Um, it's not to have this great expression of faith where I'm not afraid of anything. It's to love one another. It's the highest call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to say, I would don't want to be a person of fear and we don't need to be people of fear. So I'm not going to wear a mask. It's completely self-absorbed because you're only thinking about yourself. So if it's possible and you said controversial, so I'm just going for the juggler. Mm-hmm. So if it's possible to, infect someone else with a sickness that I don't even know I have, and I'm not concerned about that at all, then I've completely missed the mark on Christian ethics because Mm -hmm. it's about loving the other person. 
And my first calling is to love God and love my neighbor as I love myself. And to, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying if you don't wear a mask, that's you. You may not wear a mask, but if you're doing it for the reason of, I'm just going to, you know, show that I'm not afraid and I don't really care if it gets anyone else sick, then I think you're wrong. Yeah. And even if it's somebody that is, uh, well, I don't want to wear a mask because I think we're making too big a deal about this thing and it's not that big a deal. Um, you still have the issue of other people are going to interpret your actions as unloving. Yep. And why wouldn't you just wear a mask then? And Paul in says, order... I don't want to put any stumbling block That's in right. front of the gospel. That's right. And That's, even you know, people's perception can be a stumbling block. That's right. People asked about uh, in in the church in Corinth eating meat that's been sold in the marketplace uh, because some of it might have been sacrificed to an idol. Some of it probably was. Um, you know, some people were concerned about that. And so, on the one hand, Paul says, "Listen, it's it's a it's a block of wood. You know, just eat the meat, be thankful. It's all good." Right. On the other hand, he said, "However, if you are if my eating the meat, even though it's it's perfectly fine." to do you don't believe that for some you don't believe it's fine in your conscience it's wrong for you to do it if my eating the meat causes you to stumble i should be willing not to eat the meat even though i'm right yeah right. And i think that's sort of where we but i'm right you know we fall back on the but i'm right about this and paul's we need to set right aside and what demonstrates love to people even if we find out a year from now we never really needed to wear the masks it's not even the point that's that's about being right right now people lots of people will see that half or more of the people will see that as not really demonstrating care for them uh and i don't it's not really about the mask so much as it's about how do we evaluate how the life i'm living is being seen by those around me how do i evaluate whether i'm loving well uh, those around me how am I evaluating, you know, is what I'm posting on social media causing me to then be ignored by somebody, which isn't unrelated, you know, to the mask thing, but it's the same sort of idea. Like, even if what you're posting is right, if it disqualifies you as being someone they'll listen to you for a transformed life, then it's not worth it. Yeah. yeah, I'm 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 with you. Uh, I agree with you. I I just again think the burden of proof and the the weight of the argument falls upon uh, the other side. To mm-hmm. uh, I'm just not convinced uh, that that's uh, the the most loving thing to do is to not protect the right. vulnerable yeah. or someone. Yeah, else. right. And that's if you wanted to dem- if you wanted to put it in the terms of this passage, you know, how are we demonstrating a life of faith, hope, and love? you know, how faithful work, loving deeds and enduring hope, what does that look like during this pandemic? And how will people see that in me? Uh, and I think that on one hand, I'm caring for other people. On the other hand, I'm not completely freaked out. Right. Uh, you know, that I can be, you know, one of the questions I have is, are we foxhole people? That's one of my you know, one of the things I, I don't really say that out loud very much, but you know, would you want to, when things really go bad, is this the kind of person you want to be in a foxhole with? And, and, you know, basically are people going to freak out or people going to, um, yeah, 
you know, there's that famous uh, clip from, I think it's Aliens, uh, when uh, the the rescue ship crashed because the alien got in there and the guy on the ship, the guy on the, the, I think it's Bill Paxson on the, on the, he just goes into this tirade about how just they're, you know, it's done, it's finished, game over, man. That's what he keeps saying, game over, man, game over, man. You know, yeah, and and that's the thing. Well, I mean, I don't want to be in a foxhole with that kind of person. Um, and so that it's not a fake. Everything's going to be wonderful. But it, what does hope look like? What does enduring hope look like? That you know what? Um, you know what? I've I had, I've I've been furloughed from my job. I don't know if I'll get. You know, I've my pavement cut. It's not going to be. It's not. Um, but skippity doo da. Right. On the other hand, it's, yeah, but I believe that the Lord will provide and he always has. And what does that look like in this time of when the pressure is on us? How do we respond? And do I, what does love look like? What does faithful work look like? And what does enduring hope look like? And so that people look at me, at us and say, oh, that's different. Or even, oh, I wouldn't mind being in a foxhole with them. Mm-hmm. when things got you know are we foxhole people um so i don't know i don't know if that makes sense yeah yeah i i just you know a couple last thoughts for me here is i hope and faith and love work in the realm of wisdom um and we don't really know what's going on inside people's hearts at the time so when i go to the store uh, i typically have a mask i'll uh, wash my hands. I'll use hand sanitizer. I'm genuinely not afraid at this point. Um, I don't mm-hmm. want to get the virus, um, mm-hmm. but it's being a responsible member of a community, like a good citizen is part of a gospel witness. And yeah. so I do those things. Those are the right things to do. They're healthy things to do. I, I do want to protect other people, my family. There's other people that were, I mean, we have neighbors that are, they're older and then one of mm-hmm. them has cancer. And so mm-hmm. um, I have to be thinking through what's the most loving thing for my neighborhood. And that doesn't mean I'm afraid, though, because I do those things. Um, to right. Me, it's a concrete yeah. expression of hope and faith and love of I'm working in wisdom, keeping in step with wisdom mm-hmm. and with love to say, yeah. I'm not necessarily afraid because I do those things, but I am protecting mm-hmm. others. Yeah. And I think that's so that's a challenge is how do we answer those questions together? Why do we decide and what's wise and loving and faithful and true together. I do think, and I could spend more time on this, but I think it's somewhat complicated by the fact that in America, individual liberties and freedoms are so emphasized that anyone asking me to do something I don't want to do just seems like that's a no right off the, right out of the box where, okay, I get it. Um, uh, You know, the whole don't tread on me. I get it. You know, that's fine. We don't want a government that's overreaching and overpowerful. However, if we look at it through another lens of what is loving, what is wise, what is faithful, then I might come to a different solution. Even if the government wants me to do it, I still might do it uh, because it's loving and faithful. Uh, and that's at least the conversation we need to be having. What, what does faithful work, loving deeds, and enduring hope look like to the watching world around us when, let's face it, lots of people are freaking out. Yeah. Um, so we will, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll uh, praying for our together, our, our, our faithful work and our loving deeds and our enduring hope. 
and that we have all those things because of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says. And so uh, from him, grace and peace and uh, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.